You're listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church, Van Alstine. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Now here's Pastor Mike. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. I don't do this very often, but I've got a couple of resources I want to recommend to you. I'm sometimes asked what I'm reading. Um, Well, this uh, past couple of weeks I've been uh, reading a couple of books that I would recommend to you, especially as it relates to this morning's message. Uh, The first one is entitled The Grand Design, Male and Female, He Made Them by Owen Strayan and Gavin Peacock. Uh, Pretty simple read. It's only about 175 pages, uh, but really insightful, certainly biblically based as it relates to uh, manhood, womanhood, Uh, some of the things that we're going to look at a bit this morning. Uh, The other one is actually uh, edited uh, by Owen Strayan and Jonathan Parnell. Uh, It's entitled, Designed for Joy, How the Gospel Impacts Men and Women, Identity, and Practice. Um, It's no secret that we're living in a pretty crazy mixed-up world, and um, we see that evidenced uh, through a lot of the things happening uh, right now as it relates to transgenderism and those types of things. And so just to give you an idea of some of the articles that are found here, or the essays that are found here, uh, being a man and acting like one. Here's a good subject. Uh, The happy call to holistic provision. Uh, The nature of a woman's nature. I need to go back and reread that one. Um, I'm I'm trying to figure it out. Um, Everyday God, we're disciplined for our good, training our kids in a transgender world. Uh, Good news for the not yet married. Purity that you can count on, my recovery from feminism. Uh, immature Manhood, and The Hope of Something Better. Um, both great books, great reads that I would encourage you to pick up. You should be able to find those at the Lifeway store um, or uh, any Christian bookstore for that matter, probably on Amazon as well. Um, but just uh, great works. And Owen Strayan particularly, it was a blessing to, I know myself and uh, Jace and Griff and uh, Kyle Essery, we all went to the uh, For the Church Conference um, a few weeks ago up in Kansas City. Owen was one of the keynote speakers there, uh, one of the plenary sessions, and just uh, a great, great guy doing a lot of great work in this particular area. So Psalm chapter 8 this morning, uh, we are now several weeks into a sermon series uh, that we've entitled Hold Firm, Getting a Grip on the Confession of Our Faith. And I, I know I told you in the introductory message for this series that I had, uh, even a year or two ago, wrestled with preaching a series like this. Uh, I've been growing increasingly concerned Uh, for the lack of uh, biblical knowledge that we find in most churches today, biblical illiteracy, and uh, also the fact that many people simply do not know what we believe, and if they do, they don't know why we believe it. What is the biblical basis for that? Uh, And so for that reason, um, we are looking at uh, particularly the Baptist faith and message and how it clarifies for us those things that we believe and why we believe them. I want to remind you, Uh, that the foundational text for this series is Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Now, hopefully by the time we finish this series, you'll have this verse at least memorized because we're going to review it every week. I want you to to hear it. I want you to see it. Uh, Titus 1, 9 says this, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, there are other texts that we could use that would point to the importance of doctrinal preaching and teaching. Um, Really, all preaching is doctrinal in nature, if you think about it. 
I know today the tendency is to kind of put it on a back burner and uh, relegate it to the area of, of theory while the rest of the Christian life is practice. And a lot of people would say, well, I, I wish you would emphasize more practice and less theory and all that. But really what we believe drives what we do. Uh, if you are less inclined to share the gospel, it's probably because you don't really believe that it's important that we share the gospel. Um, you say you do, but if you really believed it, then you would be more inclined to share the gospel. That's just one example that I could give you today of why it's important to know what we believe and why we believe it. Doctrine means teaching, that which is taught. Um, and so while we know that um, the Baptist faith and message is not inspired in the same way that God's Word is inspired, it submits to the Word of God, it is born out of the Word of God, uh, there is a biblical basis for the truths that we're looking at, it is very important for us to know what we believe. Getting a grip on the confession of our faith. Already we've looked at Article 1, the Scriptures. What do we believe about the Word of God? We believe the Scriptures are God's inspired, completed its revelation of Himself to humanity. God has sovereignly, providentially uh, preserved His inerrant, infallible Word for us. That's, that's the very foundation. Uh, and so what you believe about the Bible will determine a whole lot of other things about what you believe. Uh, and, and so we've looked at Article 1, the Scriptures. We've already looked at Article 2, that is theology proper. It's entitled, God. The one and only living and true God is revealed in Scripture to be a trinity of three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet still one, a unity. Uh, we believe that God is a tri-unity. There's only one God, distinct in person, but without division of nature, essence, or being. And then that is further broken down as we looked at uh, the rest of Article 2. It's labeled A, B, and C. If you look at a copy of the Baptist Faith and Message, it's God the Father, God the Son, and naturally God the Holy Spirit. Last week we looked at God the Holy Spirit. We looked at the person of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not something that we try to need to get more of it or dispense more of it. Um, the Holy Spirit is a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. We looked at the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is, is to come alongside and comfort uh, and we looked at a text that, that describes the Holy Spirit as comforter, as helper, the parakletos, the one called uh, to come alongside and to call out to us. That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit also bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so it uh, gives us that confidence, the plan of the Holy Spirit. We looked at that last week in terms of how uh, gifts are given to the different members of the body of Christ and how those gifts differ. And then uh, we looked at the pledge of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we uh, went back into the first century and looked at how the seal of the first century authenticated something. Uh, much like a seal today from a notary public uh, would authenticate a signature, that's what the Holy Spirit does in and for us. The Holy Spirit also, like a first century seal, would indicate ownership. Uh, if you indeed are a child of God, you've turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit uh, that is our seal of ownership that says, you belong to me. Um, and then we said that the first century seal denoted protection, uh, and that is the Holy Spirit. And then we look finally at the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, allowing him to conquer death for us, is at work within us. Uh, and that's why in Acts chapter 1 we find those words, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power uh, so that you can be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, today we turn our attention to Article 3. 
Article 3 is entitled Man. So we've looked at what, uh, what is said about the Word of God. We've looked at what we believe about God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, what is it that we believe about us? How is it that God would have us relate to Him? How does He relate to us? Uh, and what does that look like? And so I want you to see the wording uh, of the article itself. Very important here. It says this, Man is the special creation of God, made in His own image. He created them male and female as the crowning work of His creation. The gift of gender is thus part of the goodness of God's creation. In the beginning, man was innocent of sin and was endowed by his creator with freedom of choice. By his free choice, man sinned against God and brought sin into the human race. Through the temptation of Satan, man transgressed to the command of God and fell from his original innocence, whereby his posterity inherit a nature and an environment inclined towards sin." Therefore, as soon as they are capable of moral action, they become transgressors and are under condemnation. Only only the grace of God can bring man into his holy fellowship and enable man to fulfill the creative purpose of God. The sacredness of human personality is evident in that God created man in his own image and in that Christ died for man. Therefore, every person of every race possesses full dignity, and is worthy of respect and Christian love. That is Article 3, man. Now with that as uh, the backdrop, so to speak, let's look at Psalm chapter 8. We're going to look at uh, the entirety of this psalm. It's just nine verses this morning. We were actually there not too long ago, um, and so this may sound somewhat familiar to you. I hope that it stirs you as it has me in study uh, even this past week in preparation for today. David writes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And here it is again, that refrain that we just read in verse number one. O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Now it's rather obvious that David's purpose in writing this psalm was for it to be a declaration of praise to God. But also found here uh, is some very important thinking about what, uh, what, what we are to think, what we are to understand about mankind. Who are we in the light of who God is? Uh, when you look at mankind, what do you really see? What do you really see? And so as we make our way through this text here, I want us to, to value mankind as God's special, crowning, pinnacle creation. I want us to, to look at the psalm together and notice in verse 1 and again in verse 9, uh, the same words, Lord, our Lord. Literally it reads here, Yahweh, our Adonai. You'll notice in most of your Bibles, uh, the first Lord is all caps. The second Lord is capital L, little O-R-D. There's a distinction there. There's a reason for that. 
It is Yahweh our Adonai. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, one thing that we know today is that the Lord has spread his name and fame before us and before all people everywhere. Even before I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as an eight-year-old boy, I was aware that there was a God. I was aware of a supreme divine being that was at work in our world. Even in my eight-year-old way of thinking, that just made sense to me. When I looked at the world that I was living in and, and the complexity of it all, and so much, of course, that I didn't understand and still don't understand some 42 years later. Uh, but you, you see that. Now, we see in this verse, the psalmist is declaring how wonderful and glorious the name of God is throughout all the earth. It's a statement that speaks of what we call general revelation. The revelation of the glory of God. Now normally when we think of the glory of God, we in creation particularly, we think of the sun and the moon and the stars and, and, and all the beautiful things that we see. It, it's present. It's, it's, it, it's, it's always resident, we might say. Uh, many times we can see it. Many times we can visualize it, but, but then sometimes it becomes skewed in our mind. We only see it when it looks good to us. We fail to see God's creative genius and the work of his hands in something that may not look so good to us. We don't see God's working in that or God's glory in that. And so the psalmist is declaring the revelation of his glory and creation, which results in praise and adoration. And then in verse 2 here of this psalm, he says, Because of your adversaries, you have established strength. Some have translated it, you have ordained, uh, set forth praise from the mouths of children and nursing infants to silence the enemy and the avenger. The true revelation of God's glory spreading his name and fame before us will result in praise and adoration. So the truth is that every person who walks the face of the earth can see the revelation of God in a general sense and can be aware of the presence of at least a divine being. But we have to ask, is that enough? Is that enough? It's the reason that you can walk up to a lot of people today, most people even, and ask, do you believe in God? And they will say yes. But in that affirmative answer, they mean very different things. They may mean that, yes, I believe there is um, a creative force. Uh, There is something at work behind the scenes. I, I really don't know what it is. Uh, But they will say, I believe in a God or a higher being or something of that nature. But I want you to notice in verse number 3, this is exactly what the psalmist is writing about. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. This past week, uh, I had the opportunity to step on our back patio, just get a little fresh air, and it was after dark. And I I quickly noticed how clear that the night sky was and how how I, I could see the stars. They just seemed to be shining uh, so bright on that particular evening, and I I quickly found myself uh, stargazing. Uh, And if you're like me, then I I know just enough about um, the location of the stars that I I tend to kind of try to look for the Big Dipper, and you know. And about the time I think I've seen it, I'll look over there and go, "Well, there's a Big Dipper over there too." And you know, I I get to trying to you know, it's like what what, I know just enough about those things, uh, but but I do know this: every time I find myself just amazed at the expanse of it all. I think this this is just the bit that I can see with with my eyes. 
and to know that there's so much more out there. I mean, it's just mind-boggling, isn't it? Isn't it? To, to think of all that God has created. And, and you've got to understand that there are many a stargazer in the world that, that sees that same expanse. They know uh, that, that it's there. They know that it's not necessarily even by happenstance. And yet they still do not know the name of the one who set it all in place. His name has not yet been revealed to them. The amazing thing is the psalmist says here, I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you set into place. And then that begs the question, how vast is space? There's a progression here. It's a progression of amazement. And if, and if you're like me and you, you've spent any time looking at it, even just for a brief few moments, you probably followed this progression. If you have any kind of attention Godward, you're just like... Wow. Not only wow, but thank you that we get to enjoy this beauty and, and your creation. And, and, and while we don't worship the creation, we worship the creator. That's the progression that we see here is this whole thing of just being amazed at the vastness and how amazing it all is. But then if you're like me, then you seem to also then find yourself reflecting on little old you in comparison to all of that. And I really think that's, in large part, what David is doing here as he writes this psalm. He's saying, in light of all of this, uh, uh, all that I see here, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you've set in place, then in verse 4, he asks this all-important question, what is man that you are mindful of him, that you even remember him, the son of man that you care for him? You see, naturalistic atheism devalues the significance of humans by ascribing the origin of humans to blind, purposeless forces. They claim that we are here by chance. And then you've got pantheistic worldviews that elevate humans to the position of divinity, and their message becomes, you are a god. Most worldviews assume that humanity is by nature good, or at least neutral. And I find it so amazing that even well-meaning Christians have bought into this biblical view of human persons. That there's just, that they were basically good. But the Bible teaches quite the opposite. The Bible says the human heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Say, Pastor, that doesn't sound like very good news, but it's real, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but I I, I don't find myself uh, needing to practice sinning more. I don't get up in today, man, today, I just, I need to work on being a little more self-centered today. You know, I, I, I don't, I just, man, I need to think about myself more today and less about others. And I, no, it comes naturally for me. And if you're honest, it probably comes naturally for you. And with all that in mind, the Baptist faith and message gives us what I believe is a, a clear biblical testimony concerning the origin and the value and the nature of humanity. There's a biblical balance that accurately addresses both our value and at the same time our unworthiness before our great creator. If you know anything about scripture, you know that the first two chapters of Genesis chapter 1, the first few pages of the Bible talk about God's creative work, God's creative genius. And and it talks about man being the the pinnacle of that, that creative work there. 
Man, everything seems great. God has said, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is very good. And then you turn the page to chapter 3 and what happens? You've got the fall, right? The fall. And so there are some things that I want us to understand better as it relates to what we believe and why we believe it. These are affirmed here in Article 3 of our Baptist faith and message. The first truth is this. We are created by God. We are created by God. Now what you may not realize historically is that the issue of evolution was a major issue and actually brought about the origin of the first edition of the Baptist faith and message in 1925. Uh, many of the statements that we, would, that we would hold to or that we would affirm um, actually are born out of and are a response to something. Um, and that was the case there in 1925. And so in the context of the culture wars over Darwinism fought there in every major American Protestant denomination, and then, of course, the famous Tennessee uh, you know, Scopes monkey trial, at that time, uh, our, our forefathers, we might say, uh, they denied that humans descended from primates with the affirmation that man is the special creation of God. That's, that, that directly opposes evolutionary teaching. God made humans a little lower than, uh, than the heavenly beings, we're told here in Psalm chapter 8, rather than a little higher than the other animals. And we talked about that before, how, no, we're not just you know, better developed animals with opposing thumbs and that kind of thing so that we can text and that kind of stuff. That, 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 that's not what we believe, Right? No, in fact, the Bible makes it clear here that we're just a little below the, the heavenly beings. We are the, the crown or the apex of God's creation. God created humans on the last creative day, and God assigned to humans the task of dominion over the animals. In fact, Adam's act of naming the animals demonstrates humanity's special status. God uniquely breathed life into man. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. We are created by God. We're created by God. Here's the second one. Number two. We are the image bearers of God. We are the image bearers of God. Now, the Bible doesn't define the image of God, but it highlights the results of the image of God. Now, we typically think of the image of God in terms of a cluster of, of capacities or, or capabilities, a listing of things that God is uh, or maybe even is not. He's not confined uh, by time and space and those kind of things. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's, he's all-powerful. And, and so, you know, we, we think of the image of God in those kinds of terms, capabilities. But, but you've got to understand that like God, humans possess intelligence and, and volition and emotion. God created us that way. And since God is spirit, humans are more than mere matter. Okay, So humans possess a spiritual nature and a unique capacity to relate to God. God created humans for community. And when you look back into Genesis there, when it says, let us make man in our image, that, of course, is a reference to the Trinity. And so humans reveal truths about God in community. We are the image bearers of of God. Now, this is very important as it relates to our worldview. It's very important as it relates to how you view people who are not like you. People who, as we say, live on the other side of the tracks. 
or people who don't speak the same language that we speak, or people who are from a different socioeconomic uh, place in society. And, and while it's maybe not as pronounced in this country, although I think it's becoming more so, you go to other parts of the world and they have a definite class system or a caste system, and, and people essentially know their place in that caste system. Okay? But biblical teaching makes it clear that we are all image bearers of God. Even Hitler. That's hard to hear, maybe, but you've got to understand that we are all image bearers of God. All right? Now, here's the third truth. We are to celebrate the gift of gender in the midst of our unisex culture and the confusion of it all. These are confusing times, aren't they? These are strange days, days that I'm sure if you're like me, some of you are like, I never thought I would have to wonder about this. Is it okay for me to go to that bathroom? Is that, is, what about this bathroom? Which bathroom do I use? It's a, I mean, you're seeing signs that we've never seen before. This is an all-gender bathroom. And then there's like three little figures on there. One looks like a man, one looks like a woman, and one looks like it's 50-50. And you're just like, what, I don't know, what, what does this mean? I, it's, it's very confusing. Gender is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. The image of God, in some sense, encompasses gender. I mean, the biblical record states that God created male and female in his image. That's very important. And the complementary nature of male and female relationships mirrors the very nature of God. Because you see, within the Trinity... Is an example, the Son and the Spirit are equal in nature or essence. But the Trinity, however, reveals a difference in roles and assignments. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, became the sacrifice for our sins. Okay, that was the role that he played as Redeemer. Okay, the Holy Spirit then confirms what Jesus Christ has done there at Calvary and becomes the seal of our, uh, of our redemption, of our sonship, and, and so on. And so, uh, in the same way, male and female share equality in nature, yet male and female have very different roles. Very different roles. And so, the biblical record makes it clear that, that man is not somehow better than, than woman, Okay, that woman is to be subservient to, to man in the sense that man's better and, you know, this whole machoism that's so prevalent in our day, you know, make me a sandwich and all that kind of thinking. That's so anti-biblical. It's so anti-biblical. In fact, I want you to hear the words of Owen Strahan and, uh, and Gavin Peacock in the work that I mentioned earlier there, the grand design. Listen carefully to this. It's a timely insight. Coming to faith means learning what manhood and womanhood is. It means we learn what our bodies are for, since learning about our bodies entails discovering who we are. Then listen to this. God is not an exotic gender theorist separating anatomy from reality. The teachings of Scripture is that your body and your identity are bound, a whole constituting a person that makes up you. The gospel unlocks these discoveries. When we trust Christ as our Savior, the beauty of God's design comes into view. Our our conversion opens our eyes to the nature and the purpose of our God-given sex. We see the body then not as a blunt instrument for our lusts, but as the gift of God for His glorification. 
We see our relationships with the opposite sex, not as a power play, but as an opportunity to serve others in the name of Christ. We see the plan of complementarity, the roles which we have the privilege of fulfilling, not not as a sentence to misery, but as a summons to happiness. These discoveries come through the eyes of faith. And then I love this final statement in this little section. It says, we most savor the grand design when we know the great designer. That's no secret. Men and women are different, right? We are different. I'm not just talking biologically. We're just different. The the way that we're wired, we're different. And and that's a gift from God. I'm thankful that I'm not living on this planet with a bunch of other dudes. And that's it. I'm just thankful for that, okay? I'm thankful that God and his creative genius and his plan allowed us to have men and women. I just I think that's great. I think that's, that just exhibits so much to me. And when you see how God intends for that all to work together, it's just, it's just mind-boggling. And so with that, we are to celebrate the gift of gender, particularly in the chaos and confusion of the world in which we live. Number four. We are to celebrate the sacredness and the dignity of human life. The sacredness of human life entails some key ethical commitments. Every individual from the womb to the tomb possesses dignity for three reasons. You might want to jot these down. They're not going to be up on the screen. But universally, every individual possesses the image of God. It goes back to what we just said a moment ago. If we're all image bearers, then each, each one has, has dignity, possesses dignity. We're made in the image of God. Number two, Christ died for the human race. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ died for the human race. And number three, all humans descend from a common ancestor. Now remember what Paul proclaimed there uh, in Athens. We looked at it a few weeks ago when we were in Acts chapter 17. From one man, or we could say of of one blood, he has made every people group on the face of the earth. That's found in Acts 17, 26. Well, in contrast to that, here's really the subtitle of Darwin's The Origin of the Species. The preservation of favored races in the preservation of life. You see how those two differ? Very clearly The preservation of favored races and the preservation of life. That's the subtitle of Darwin's Origin of the Species. So the biblical teaching then, understand this and hear me clearly, condemns every form of racism, genderism, and ageism as sin. I can't say that any more clearly. And further, the biblical teaching concerning the sacred dignity of humans conveys a pro-life message and a missionary mandate. Because every human being has dignity as an image bearer of God, then we are to go with the good news of the gospel to the nations. To the nations. If you're one of those people who in your smug arrogance says, well, I just don't like this group or that group or that group, check this out. If, if, if you're thinking you're going to be in heaven and everybody's going to be just like you, you're going to be greatly disappointed. You're going to be greatly disappointed because the Bible makes it clear. They're coming from every direction, north, south, every tongue and tribe and nation and from everywhere. That's biblical teaching. 
Number four, then, we are to celebrate the sacredness and the dignity of human life. And number five, we are to embrace God's solution to our sin problem. Originally created in a state of innocence, the first humans transgressed the singular prohibition of God. This is all yours to enjoy, except that one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 3. Well, as a result of their poor decisions, all humans universally possess a sinful nature and an environment inclined towards sin. Do you know that to be a reality in your life? I, I know that I do. I mentioned a moment ago, when, when Mike Lovely was born in the Methodist Hospital in Dallas, Texas, on July the 27th, 1966, Mike Lovely was born with a sin nature. Okay, all almost 10 pounds and 11 ounces of me was born with a sin nature. All right? And you say, but wait a minute, you... That, that's why the Baptist faith and message makes it clear that once I, I could make that first moral decision, that was evidenced. Okay, My parents never had to sit me down at an early age and go, let us teach you how to be selfish. We, they, they didn't have to do that. Why? It came naturally. Okay, It was already programmed. It's already there. Okay, Paul wrote this to the Romans. He said in Romans chapter 5, he goes, Whereas by sin came into the world and death by sin, as by one man sin came into the world and death by sin, so death is passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Now you may think, oh, I'm better than most. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the top 80%. I'm whatever. You're a sinner. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. Just like I am. In fact, British author G.K. Chesterton said it this way. He commented that the Christian doctrine of sin is the one doctrine that is certainly capable of empirical verification. It can be proven. <laughs> We're all sinners. He, he was right. Humans sin because we are sinners. Sin is the symptom. The root problem is a sin nature. We are sinners. So corrupted humans... Here's where the rub comes in, and you've often heard me say that the Bible is fundamentally a book about people who have a problem with God, and that problem is what? It's sin, right? All right. Well, if, if that's our fundamental problem, then what can we do about it? Well, we can't do anything about it. That's where the rub comes in. People think, well, then I'm going to fix the problem. I'm going to fix I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to save myself. I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to do enough good things that I can save. No, corrupted humans cannot heal their disease. Only the grace of God revealed in the true image of God, Jesus Christ, can do this. That's where the gospel comes in. So the best way to understand the image of God, according to David, the psalmist here in Psalm chapter 8, is, is, is not uh, to, to look at the animals and, the, and glory in the way that we are superior to them. And I love animals, okay, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But the best way to understand the image of God is to look at King Jesus to look at King Jesus and see just how far we have fallen from what God intended when he first made Adam and Eve. Okay? Then, so then it's not to, to look at the world around us and compare ourselves with others. In fact, the Bible says that makes us very unwise to compare ourselves among ourselves. Yeah, you, compared to the common criminal, most of us are going to look pretty good. Okay, but, but that, 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 what's the standard? The standard is King Jesus. Okay, And when we look to King Jesus, we see just how far we have fallen from what God intended when he first made Adam and Eve. But that's not the end of the story, is it? 
Now, we praise God this morning. We, 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 we say, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Because even with all that you've created, all that you've done, that you are mindful of, of little old me. And you, you care for me. And you cared enough for me that in my sinfulness, you sent your son so that he who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Now you talk about a great exchange. That's the great exchange. So we praise God today. We glorify God today that in Christ, the image is being restored. And so while... July 27, 1966, I was born with a sinful nature. I am grateful that on November the 24th, 1974, as an eight-year-old boy, when I turned from my sin to faith in Jesus Christ, that image started this process of being restored. What God intended. And so even to this day, some 42 years later, I can say I'm not what I should be, not, not what, I, what I could be, but by the grace of God, I'm not what I was. Because that image is being restored. And in glorification, that work will be complete. That work will be complete. We'll no longer be in the presence of sin. We'll no longer be dealing with the issues of faith that we can't see. No, no. Our faith will become sight and we'll be glorified. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church Van Alstine. FBCVA is located at 121 East Marshall Street in Van Alstine, Texas, or you can visit us online at www.fbcva.com. Be sure to visit the Sermon Archive for more messages from this and other series.